Steve has been gracious in allowing me just to share with you uh, here today. Last time I spoke with you, I said that the next opportunity I had, I was going to speak about dealing with suffering. And then as I started to look at this, I thought, how naive can you be to think that in 30 minutes you're going to cover everything there is in Scripture about suffering? That's crazy. So what I've done here today is I've selected another topic, smaller, but still very close to our hearts, something that we struggle with each day. And let me introduce uh, our message this morning uh, uh, by just asking you a question. Have you ever had a time in your life when you felt like that uh, everything was just out of control? Uh, You cry out to God and you just don't seem to hear anything. Anybody? Had that, yeah, we got some honest folks in our midst here. Yeah, I've I've felt that. I've been a part of that. And the term that I want us to look at that applies to this is chaos. Sometimes we feel like that that our life is in chaos. That's actually um, a uh, biblical term. Uh, If you go into the Old Testament, the word chaos uh, is described as an ocean in the midst of a storm. That's why the story of Jonah was such a powerful message because as Jonah ran from God, he found himself in chaos. He found himself in this huge storm. And in our life sometimes, we can feel like Jonah. We can feel like that we're uh, trapped in the midst of the storm. Another picture that's given to us of chaos in the Old Testament is a a picture of emptiness. If you go back to the creation, it says the world was without form and void. The word that is used there gives us a picture of emptiness. And that same word is applied to chaos. So if you put the two together, it makes great sense to us because in one sense, the world around us and what we're experiencing is out of control. It's chaos. But yet we feel this emptiness inside And we ask the question, where is God when we need him most? What I want us to consider today is um, that the Lord certainly speaks to us in many ways. For some of you, God may even, for a few, speak audibly. Sometimes it's an inner sense, an inner awareness. Some have said to me, God even speaks to me through dreams sometimes. But let me suggest to you that God also speaks to you through the events of your life and more particularly through chaos and what is happening around you. And that's pretty frightening sometimes for us to think about that, but it's, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing. And what happens is, is we read in Psalm 119, the psalmist says, Open my eyes to see clearly the wonders of your teaching. Scripture talks about two things. One, the failure that we have sometimes to have ears to hear what God is saying to us, but yet also that we fail to have eyes to see what God is doing in our midst. And part of what we want to look at today is to say, how can we look at the experiences and the struggles and the chaos that we have in our life to see what God is doing in our very midst? 
We know, of course, the story of Noah and how he lived in uh, uh, such an evil society here. But Noah, in the midst of that and building the ark, learned that God had the power over creation and that God was a covenant God. Abraham, on the other hand, uh, when he was called out of uh, Ur of the Chaldees, he was called out from a beautiful city, and he was called to live in the wilderness, and he ends up in a, in a battle with five kings all around him, and his, his brother Lot gets uh, kidnapped, and he has to go and rescue him and join into this huge battle. And what he learns out of it, God says to him, I am your shield and your reward. Joseph, of course, we know the events that happened in Joseph's life, his imprisonment, uh, taken into slavery, and he learns that God can change evil into good. Same time, Moses, of course, was raised for 40 years as a prince of Egypt, but then goes into the wilderness for 40 years as a shepherd before he's called back to Egypt to, to deliver God's people. And in that, we see that God is calling him not to be a prince of Egypt, but a leader of a nation. And David himself, of course, uh, uh, is anointed as king, but he has to run from Saul and he has to hide out in the wilderness for eight years. And at the same time, he learns what it means to be a survivor as God's anointed. And then Ezekiel himself was uh, one of the most famous prophets in all of scripture. And he ends up running uh, from uh, Ahab and Jezebel and he learns God's power to deliver. So in all these cases of these famous people, we see them dealing with chaos in their life and coming to grips with who God is and what he is teaching them. And I again suggest to us that part of this, uh, this experience for us is that we learn who God is, but at the same time, we also learn who we are. What I'm going to do now is share with you a story that I actually started before and didn't get to finish last time, but I said I would finish the next time I spoke. And this was a story about a time, uh, and actually I titled it uh, Going to Prison, uh, but uh, it's not what you think. What happened was is that I was a pastor at another church, and I was approached uh, to lead a mission team into Soviet uh, Russia, into Moscow. And what happened was, is this, there was this young man who was uh, in his early 20s. He was quite an entrepreneur, very intelligent, extremely smart. And what he would do is he would go into Russia, into Moscow, and he would bring back these Matryoshka dolls. You know, the dolls are one big one and smaller, 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 smaller uh, into each of them. And he'd bring back uh, religious icons. And we had a Russian population uh, of immigrants near where we lived. And he would, at Christmas time, go into a, a large mall, set up a kiosk, and during the Christmas season, he would sell these items. And during that time, he would make $50,000 in that period of time alone. And then he used that for the rest of the year to live on, and then he would go into Russia, and he also supported two young Russian couples who were serving in Moscow as missionaries. Talk about a lifestyle. This guy was amazing. So what he did was, while he was there, he went into a, a, a prison. It was actually a youth prison for uh, young boys from the ages of 12 to 20. And they were in there under various sentences 
from anywhere, uh, for anything from using drugs to murder. And so he went in and he talked to the commandant and he said, what can I bring that these young men need that we could bring to them? And the guy said, well, he says, unless they're in touch with their families, which most of them aren't, he said, what they really need is underwear. They just have these outer garments and they don't have any underwear. So could you possibly bring back 300 pairs of underwear? talk about strange request. What does he do? He comes to me. And he says, will you go to the congregation and bring back, you know, solicit to bring in 300 pairs of underwear? So we did that. What we ended up with was actually 600 pairs of underwear and 400 pairs of socks. Uh, but I uh, was given the title of Captain Underwear after that, <laughs> uh, that experience. But here we were, and we had a group or team of people going to go into Moscow here. And now that was, um, uh, you know, something we're very excited about. Uh, but what happened was, is that as we were going in, I said to our team of people, I said, now, let me tell you this. What's going to happen here is, is that we're probably going to have something that happen that will stop us in our tracks. We will hit a brick wall. We can't do anything except pray to get through it. So just be aware of when that happens. Guess what? Guess who it happened to? <laughs> what happened was, is that we were going in, and we were going in through customs, carrying all this luggage, this, this underwear going in. And anyway, there was supposed to be a man, one of the guards from the prison was supposed to come with an uh, official letter here saying that we should pass through customs without duty and to let us through. Well, the young man, he went through a day ahead of us and actually took in 300 pairs, and the guy showed up for him with the letter, so he walked right through. But he didn't show up when we came through with the rest of us. And here we go in with suitcases and a duffel bag full of underwear. So we're going through customs, and he says, we said, what do we do? And the young man was there, and he says, when you go through, just tell him it's my stuff. So here I am in line, and I'm going through uh, the, you know, scanner that they have going through customs at this part. And I tell you, there was a woman sitting there running the scanner. I know she could press, bench press, at least 300 pounds. <laughs> and she had a look that was just like this, you know, like she could just take your head off. And so I'm going through the line, and she comes up, and she stops the bag in the scanner. And I'm standing there looking at her, and she says, what is this? And I take a deep breath, and I said, uh, it's my stuff. And she just stares at me. And I'm getting nervous. I'm getting anxious here. And finally, just to break the tension, I said, it's only underwear. And she goes, and I walked through. And I thought, oh, that's great. We made it. No way. We had this nice couple, business, man, successful businessman. They were traveling together. Each carried their duffel bag. And the husband, to be very helpful to his wife, said, honey, here, before we go through customs, let me take your duffel bag of underwear with mine, and you take my suitcase and go through. He didn't think through the consequences of that choice, right? So here's a woman going through with luggage, which is fine. His wife goes through just fine. He comes through, and here's an American flying internationally carrying two duffel bags full of 
underwear. Guess what happened? They pull him out, start interrogating him. Of course, he tells them about all of us. They pull all of us out and they confiscate all of the underwear that we have. And that's how we're left at that point. I was saying to the young translators with me, I said, uh, does this mean that when I come back through to Russia in the future, they're going to look at a list and say, uh, we're not letting him in here. Last time he came, he brought too much underwear. And uh, he laughed, and the guard said, what did he say? What did he say? And he told him, and they all laughed, and the interpreter said, well, at least we got him laughing. Well, we, you know, we thought, well, what do we do? This is one of those situations, and so we prayed. But fortunately, the young man had come through already with the 300 pairs of underwear. Well, what happens then is, is that as we're leaving, we're gathering all the luggage up, and again, this kind gentleman, this businessman thought he was being helpful, and he took my bag and put it in the trunk of the car. I had told everyone, whatever you do, do not lose your passport, your visa, or your return plane ticket. You will not get out of here. Guess what? My passport, visa, and return airline ticket were in the, ba- was in, were in the bag that he took, and it disappeared. It was gone. We went to an apartment at that point in time that night. It was late at night when we got in. And so there wasn't anything we could do about it, any way of finding it. And I went to bed that night in agony at that moment. What am I? I am supposed to be leading this group. I did what I told them not to do. What am I going to do? And I lay there in, you know, we were in a small room. We had all the men in one apartment, all the women in another apartment. I'm laying there in this bed that's about half my length in size. And I'm laying in a fetal position and I'm trying to, to go to sleep and I can't. And I am crying out to God, what can I do? What? Oh, I can't believe this is happening to me. And finally at three o'clock in the morning, I said, God, you are the creator of the universe You made all things. You're in control of everything here. Only you can work this out. I can do nothing. And immediately went to sleep. Next day we got up, and it was time for us to go into the prison. And I had nothing, no identification. Now, this was a time in Russia. It wasn't real severe, but it was a time when if you went along the street, you could be stopped and asked for your identification. If you didn't have it, the first thing they'd do is take you to jail and wait until the U.S. consulate showed up and verified who you were. And you you could be driving a car, and they could pull your car over and check the credentials of people in the car. So I'm thinking, how am I going to do this? So a bus comes and picks us up and takes us over to the prison, and we're going in the door here. And what happens here in this is, picture this, as we're going through, there's a young guard sitting at a table, and the people are going through in the line, and each person is handing out their passport as they enter in through the door, and he's taking the passport. I walk up, the officer reaches out to the person ahead of me and takes their passport and lays it down and then turns around and reaches to the person behind me and takes their passport and lay it down. And it was like I never was even there. They never saw me. 
in the midst of all that. I was not there. And I'm saying, oh, God, you've got to be kidding me. And so I go in and we preach, or I preach and share my testimony with the kids and we take pictures and everything with them. And um, anyway, uh, uh, just had a great time uh, with all of them. And then it was time to leave. And I'm thinking, okay, Lord, I got you know, what's going to happen when we go out? I don't want to stay here. And so as we're going out, what happens is at that point is, is we come up to that point in that table and the young man's there and there's a, this big pile of passports. And what he does is he, you know, it's like he takes his arms and he takes all these passports and at one time passes them out to us. It's like this guy's Santa Claus or something. I mean, he's just giving out all the passports at one time. And of course, we're sitting there, well, you know, like this and everything like this, passing them all around. No one could tell that I didn't have a passport. Now, we walked out of that building. And, oh, you know, talk about, you know, just being awed by all that was going on at that moment uh, in the situation. Uh, uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 52, uh, verse 12, Isaiah says to Israel, he says, the Lord will go before you and the Lord God of Israel will be your rear guard. I'm thinking, oh, is that so good? God, you went before me going in, and you have gone after me as I go out. <coughs> what, you know, what, it, what a, uh, an event. What an experience in the midst of all that. And I'm saying to myself, isn't God amazing? From there, they took us uh, to, uh, got us back in the uh, bus, and quickly we took us, uh, took us to the edge of the city. And at that time, uh, <clears throat> they took us to a, a, like a park. It was a memorial. And it was about, <clears throat> this was where, uh, during the Second World War, the German army, had advanced to this point right outside the city and had intended to invade Moscow. If Moscow had been taken conceivably, the Russian, uh, Russians could have collapsed. And at that point in time, there would have been a, <clears throat> you know, all those um, troops would have shifted to the Western Front. But instead, of course, we know by history that the uh, winter set in, and they were trapped. Russia, uh, the Germans at, at, at Moscow and Leningrad and then in the Ukraine, they had three million troops. And yet God had stopped them dead in the tracks at that point. And as I look back, I didn't see it then, but as I look back, I could see where God was saying to me, I take care of the small things in life, the details. But at the same time, I am in charge of nations and armies, and I am working all this out. And I can do it, and you can trust in me. Well, at that point, I was overwhelmed by all the events of the day. But then I knew, wait a minute, I still don't have any documents to get out of here. How am I going to get out of this town? And the next day, uh, in the morning, we ended up going 
the Red Square, Lenin's tomb, the Russian Museum where all the um, uh, crown jewels of the czars were, uh, the basilica there, that church, if you've ever seen the picture of Red Square, you, you can picture all that as a part of it. And then, you know, I thought, well, you know, I've got to leave here and uh, try and get this passport back. And I was supposed to meet with an interpreter to help me do that. What's the rest of the, our team going to do? Well, it turned out, hey, they took care of themselves. They got tickets to go see the Bolshoi uh, uh, Ballet. You know, what, how cool can that be to go see something that good? And they went off to do that while I went to get a passport. Well, I went to the uh, embassy at that point in time, and I went up to the front door of the embassy with the young interpreter. And, of course, there was this good-looking young Marine standing there, attention on guard. And I come up to him, and I tell him my story. And he says, well, sir, he says, I'm sorry, but today is Friday, and the embassy is closed all day. You can't get your passport. We were supposed to leave that night on a train to go overnight 500 miles to Kazan, Russia, uh, east of the city, and then come back uh, you know, the, the day before um, the, the day before we would fly out of town. And I'm thinking, oh no, I'm going to have to stay behind. What's going to happen with the team? What's all this going? To, what's going to take place here? But then the guy kind of looked at me, and maybe he saw something in my face, but he says, well, fella, he says, you've got some real trouble here. He said, what we're going to do is we're going to open the offices of the embassy to get you a passport right now. And he called in some staff, and they came in, and in two hours, I walked out of there with a passport. But it's not over yet. The young man then, who the interpreter, it turns out that there was a man who was an administrator over this hospital. And he was kind of the patron of the boys' prison. He took care of, oversaw that uh, work and, and took care of them. And it turns out he was one of the most powerful men in Russia. The reason why he was so powerful was because what happened was is that he was responsible for issuing the health certificates for all the ambassadors that, uh, Russia had to, for around the world to say that they were in good enough health to carry out their duties. And so he could get anything he wanted because of his position and authority and responsibility. So I was taken to his office and sat down and, to talk with him. And of course, I'm talking to an, an interpreter here. And he makes some telephone calls for my visa. He's going to arrange for my visa now. So he makes some telephone calls, and I'm sitting there, and he turns, hangs up, and he turns to me, and he says, tell me, does your denomination allow you to drink? And I said, well, yes, in moderation. And I thought he was going to give me a, a glass of wine or something like that while we were sitting there. What he does is he pulls out a bottle of scotch, and a can of beluga caviar about that big. And that can on the open market cost at that time at least $500. And he opens up the caviar and he put, takes it and he puts it on some bread and he pulls out some little glasses and he pours some scotch in these glasses. 
And uh, so I'm sitting there, what do I, you know, what do I do with this? I am drunk since college days. What do I do? So, I mean, it's not like I'm going to be sitting there checking this stuff down anyway. So I'm kind of sitting there, kind of sipping this, not wanting to offend them at this point in time. But we're sitting there eating caviar and talking. And we did this for three hours. The amazing thing was, is that when I walked out of there, I didn't feel a thing. (laughs) (laughs) But for the right reason. It wasn't the effect of of the the alcohol. I just didn't feel it. I don't know what that feels like. Yeah, I didn't feel it. Well, at the end of the three three hours, he uh, gets another call and he says, okay, if you go to the airport uh, this evening, he said at six o'clock, he says, what's going to happen is, is he says, they're going to give you a new visa. And also they will release the clothing, the underwear that you had. They will release that at that point. So what happens is, I am just, you know, I'm, I'm ready to just jump up and down, you know, I'm so excited about all this stuff that's happening and going out. And, and I went there, to, everything happened just as he said. I got, you know, my visa to leave the country at that point, and they delivered back the stuff that we had. And, but then I still had to get the, the, um, the um, uh, ticket out of town, and everything was so tight in the schedule, I thought, when am I going to get this done? Well, we got on the train that night, went to Kazan, uh, and it just so happened that the week before we arrived there, Lufthansa, the, fly, the planes we were flying on, happened to open a travel agency in Kazan. And I walked in and got my ticket replaced while I was there. And came back. Now, now the neat thing here is, is that God just doesn't provide our needs, but he gives us blessing beyond measure. And what we experienced was, is that when I was with this gentleman, uh, the hospital administrator, he said uh, to me at the time, he said, what we would like to do is we would like to give you a a state dinner for your group for all the work that you're doing here. And I thought, maybe I misinterpreted him. Maybe he said a steak dinner, (laughs) not a state dinner. Why would they be giving us a state dinner in any way? And so anyway, what happened, of course, was at that point, he says, when are we coming back? I told him, he says, well, when you come in, we will send a, a bus for you and we will take you uh, to the dinner in your honor. And I said, oh, that's great. That's wonderful. Thank you. We were coming back. They came and picked us up uh, to take us to this place. Now, the place where they told us we would be going was the Russian uh, Army Museum. And I expected tanks and guns and everything like this outside, you know. And I expected, you know, you go in and you see all these displays of uniforms and medals and ammunition and and guns and stuff like that inside. None of that. This was an old home, a mansion that was built during the time of the czars. And when you would go in, each room was decorated in period furniture. And we were taken through these rooms. And there was one large room where the mayor of Moscow met with the council 
the, uh, the city council of Moscow. In fact, Putin met in that room for high-level meetings, and you could go and sit in the chair if you wanted as a part of it. This was an unbelievable place. Rachmaninoff, during his lifetime, actually was a teacher at this place and, and taught piano lessons. So you can imagine what this place might have looked like. As we went through this, came into this one room, there was a huge grand piano in there, and they had a man who was from the Bolshoi Opera. And we were standing there, and this man sang an aria from Boris Gudunov, Russian opera, to entertain us. This was their entertainment for us while we were there. And from there, then we went into a, a banquet room, okay? And in the banquet room, there was a table that was laid out that was as long as from the back of the stage across to the other side of the stage. I have never seen anything like it in my life. And at that table was not only the director of the hospital, but there were representatives from uh, the major Christian religions there, leaders that were there. There was the commandant of the boys' prison officers, high-level officials with him, and they were all there as a part of this, this dinner. And we sat down there, and the tables were decorated. If you can imagine this, they had like huge platters here, and they were piled with fruit. And there were hors d'oeuvres everywhere all over the table. And we were sitting there, and, and we were eating and talking. And people in my team were looking over at me, and they were saying, is this the main course? <laughs> I mean, we couldn't believe it, what it was. But it wasn't. I mean, they had, they had crystal glasses, four crystal stem glasses there to serve wine with each one of the courses. And the last was champagne. They served two entrees, and one of them was a fish that could only be found in Russian waters. No place else in the world could you find this particular fish as we were uh, there eating and serving. And we had to give toasts and stand up, you know, and everything like this. I have never seen in a movie, I have never seen uh, in videos or newsreels or anything, anything like this. And from the start, the, the thing that kept going through my mind, you know that song that says, he brought me to his banqueting table, his banner over me is love. That just kept just singing. I, it was like I wanted to yell it out. It was just so powerful, and it just over and over in my mind. Of course, you see the verse up there. It says, he brought me to his banqueting hall. But it was that song, and it was over and over and over. God just doesn't meet our needs. He takes us well beyond our needs. He takes us into blessings that we cannot imagine. We cannot imagine. And let me tell you something. In all the struggles in life, in all the chaos that you have, God will do the same for you. You know, there's a closing verse. Uh, there's a thing I want to close with here. I'd like to call Shiloh up with her group as I close this time. But there's... Um, a closing verse here that <clears throat> says, uh, that speaks of 
a time for all of us as believers. It's a time when, in the end, that God makes everything right. It's a time when we are called into his presence. It's from Revelation, verse 19, 9. It says, Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who have been called to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he said to me, These words are true. They come from God. Beloved, we have waiting for us a banquet in God's presence that we cannot imagine. What I experienced was hot dogs compared to what he has in store for us. That is his promise to us. And no matter what we're struggling with now, no matter what we have before us that we're dealing with, he will deal with it, he will take care of it, and he will bring us to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Amen.